Thank you for that great introduction, Brother Mad, Brad Mad. <laughs> I was overwhelmed. No, I was underwhelmed. That's what it was. Dr. Hughes, good to see you. Can, he, can Dr. Hughes hear me today? Good to see you. Charles, good to see you. Mrs. Hughes, bless you guys. I was trying to think, when did I preach for you, Dr. Hughes? You remember the year? Was it back in the 70s? Was it 76? Was it that far back, Charles? That's, that's 42 years ago, y'all. And, and it's so good to see Dr. Hughes and his wife. Of course, Charles is always good to see him, the son, and uh, their family of Shauna and Jamie. Shauna's the daughter of Charles. Got it all covered. <laughs> Hallelujah. I'm not used to this little teeny pulpit up here. I've got to put my stuff everywhere. Let's see. There you go. You know, I, one of these days we're going to testify about our tithing situation, Brad, because everybody needs a story about tithing. I, I, I think the, the most critical thing, I, I don't know if I've ever told from the pulpit this, but, of course, my wife and I have been tithing ever since our ministry began in 1975. She was tithing before that. I was delinquent in my tithing before that. Huh? Fifteen years old, she started tithing and has not missed. Isn't that, isn't that crazy? And she's about 25 now, so that's been a good at least 10 years. <laughs> but uh, but I, I, this is something that I don't, I don't share with congregations, usually only with pastors. But in 1996, the Lord stirred my heart to uh, submit my ministry to a man that I greatly respect, Pastor Houston Miles, Evangel Cathedral, founder of Evangel Fellowship International. And I had met Brother Houston in 1977, and I finally approached him one day and I said, Pastor Houston, would you adopt me as a spiritual son? He said, well, I reckon I will. <laughs> That's how he talks, you know. He's from Alabama. Well, I reckon I will. I said, well, wonderful. And I purposed in my heart, not because of him suggesting it, but I purposed in my heart to tithe to his ministry rather than tithe into our ministry. And believe you me, we needed the money in our ministry. We needed my tithe, our tithe in our ministry. But we began that in 1996, and to this day, we've been faithful every month for the past 22 years. And I can tell you this, there have been two or three times, and I won't get into the details, but there have been two or three times that our ministry should have gone under. We should not have existed. Our money was gone. We were, our backs were to the wall. We should not survive. But God made a way where there was no way. You know why? Because he said, prove me now with this. Right. You don't tithe because you, you need to. You tithe because you get to. Amen. Hallelujah. Brother Oral Roberts says that your tithe is not a debt you owe, but a seed you sow. That's what he used to say. Y'all got your Bible? Hold your Bible up. Let's do this this morning. Let's act like we, we really are believers. Now, if you got your Bible on your computer, but I understand that too. Amen. I like a hard copy. I really like that. I'm from the old school, y'all. Say this with me. This is my Bible. The authoritative. The eternal. Settled forever in heaven. Word of God. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I have what it says I have. Today, I desire to hear the Word of God and do it. Today, I receive His mercy and the abundance of His grace and the gift of His righteousness that I might reign in life through Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, see, you could go home because that's, that, that's really what you need to believe right there. And you need to open the pages of it 
And when you get open the pages, you need to say, Lord, I'm here again to come to your word, wanting you to talk to me out of your word. Amen? And I've been doing that for the last th about 30 years, and, and, it, and believe you me, it works. When you tell the Lord you want to hear, get ready. He's going to talk. Amen? We've been talking about prayer for the past few weeks, and we're continuing that with that theme. And I want to continue this morning with the subject of prayer. But I want to take a direction I've taken before slightly, but I have not considered this way in great depth. And I was hoping this morning that I might be able to do this in great depth or greater depth than I have to this date. It gets a little difficult when you have gaps between your preaching time. I'm not really used to that even yet. But um, look at Hebrews chapter 5 with me. See, I'm, I'm persuaded that most people don't pray because of one thing. Now, this is my opinion, and so I, I really appreciate my opinion. You know the, how we appreciate our own opinions. I believe that most Christians don't pray because they labor under condemnation. I believe that most of us have to overcome an accusing finger in our face when we get ready to pray. Because the enemy is always there to accuse the brethren. If he could accuse Job and bring accusations against Job, you and I are in trouble. If he could accuse Jesus, for heaven's sake, you and I are in trouble. Amen? Remember what the devil said to Jesus? If you are the Son of God, what an accusation to come from the devil to the one who, from the one who, who, to, toward the one who made him, created him. Amen? Hebrews 5 and verse Let's read verse, just verse 12. We've got a lot of room to cover here. Though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled, everybody say with me, in the word of righteousness, for he is obeyed. The word unskilled means inexperienced in the word of righteousness. I believe most Christians, and that again is my, just my opinion, you labor with me, most Christians are not familiar with the word of righteousness. It's interesting that in over in chapter 4 of Hebrews, Remember in verse 12 there it says, actually begin with, let's look at, just go ahead with verse 16. Let us therefore, this is the last verse of the fourth chapter, come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the, and help in the time of need. The throne of grace is the place of prayer. Whenever I come in prayer, that's what I always tell the Lord. I come to your throne of grace to receive your mercy and to find your grace. I don't say this, but I can say this to you. I don't come saying I beg for your mercy or I beg for your grace. I say I come to receive. I come to find. Amen? Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things, whatever they are, will be added to you. The things that we have need of, clothing, food, etc., etc., the life existence itself. <coughs> seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. The word seek is the same word that's used by the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 2 and in 1 Timothy, I believe it's chapter 6, of pursue. Pursue righteousness. He told that young man, Timothy, pursue righteousness. It's the same Greek word that's used in Philippians chapter 3 when Paul, the Apostle Paul said, I press toward the mark. I'm pressing. 
That word carries with it the connotation of a race. You're going to run after it. And that's how God is challenging us when it comes to the word of righteousness, with righteousness itself. Here's an interesting thing that you'll find when you, discover, when you study this message of, of righteousness. The throne of God is called the throne of His grace, where you, find, where you receive His mercy and find His grace. But do you know that there's a foundation that that throne sits on? Now this is an interesting point, because most of us don't think of these things. I challenge you to go simply get your concordance and do a study of the word of righteousness. And you'll be amazed at what's there that's joined to the word of righteousness. Turn, let's turn together. Let's see if we can find that. I told Shauna this morning, Shauna, your daughter said something to me about you. Can I tell him this about what you said? Because he and I are alike this way. Charles and I used to sit at the same pastor's table. And uh, I told Shauna this morning, I said, listen, I don't want to study too much because I don't want to ruin my anointing for chasing rabbits. Can you identify with that, John? Because <laughs> I, I don't want to get too confused, you see. I, I believe I'm anointed to exhort the people, to have God use me to stir up the people, to, to know that they can go, go to places in God they've never been. They can arise to places in God that they've never imagined. Those wonderful things. There are deeper depths and higher heights and wider widths and longer lengths in God because there's never an end to Him. Hallelujah. All of creation is inside of Him. Did you know that all of creation is still growing? Did you know it's still expanding? My wife and I going home the other night was looking at that big star. We don't know what the planet it is. I think it's a planet right next to the moon. You know the one that formed the crescent moon there in that big star? I said, you know, the reality is that, that star could have gone out millions of years ago, and we may not even be able to see it yet that it's gone out. Because light travels at 186,000 miles per second, and it may be still years before we'll ever see that it goes out. Isn't that crazy? This, this creation is expanding at a, at a distance of 186,000 miles per second. The universe, the constellations, this thing is big. Somebody say it's big. God is big. I'm telling you, He's something. We don't know who we're dealing with here. God said, let there be light. And there was. There it goes. And it's still going. <laughs> Tell me, there's no sides. There's no length. There's no height. There's no depth. There's no bottom. There's no top. There's no end. He's gone. Now, here's what I want you to see. Look at uh, one or two of these verses about the, th the throne and its, and its foundation. Psal Psalms chapter 97. Would you turn there? Now, if you'll stay with me, this is going to be good. You're going to leave with a nugget or two today, I believe. If you don't, I'm going to be awfully disappointed. I've been studying hard and long. Psalm 97, verse 2. Clouds and darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne or the habitation of his throne. The word simply means his throne is established simply on the foundation of righteousness and justice. God is just, and God is righteous. God had to do something about righteousness and justice. Romans chapter 3 makes it clear what He did when He put Jesus on that cross. The Bible says He was just, and the justifier of all of those who come to Him through Jesus. And He grants us the gift of righteousness, the righteousness of God. You read Romans chapter 3, you'll see that. But that's, that's, that's what it's, it's, the throne of God is established on. If you approach the throne of God to find His mercy and to, re, and to receive His mercy and find His grace, 
and you don't know what that foundation's about, you're in trouble. Righteousness. The first mention of the word righteousness in the scripture is where, class? You remember? Everybody looks up. No. The first mention is when he spoke to Abraham. If I recall, it's in Genesis chapter 15. God spoke to Abraham about righteousness. Remember when the Bible said Abraham believed God? What happened when he believed God? It was accounted to him for righteousness. Righteousness was imputed. Righteousness was given to him the day that he believed God. Here's something interesting that I, that I want you to get a hold of too. Look at Romans chapter 9. Let me show you something about this. Romans chapter 9. It gave me insight. I hope it will give you insight. I've read this hundreds of times. But I challenge you, you keep reading the scriptures and God will keep talking about things you haven't even heard yet. Amen? Are you in Romans chapter 9? Listen to this. Verse 30. What shall we say then that the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith? But Israel, pursuing the law of righteousness, has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Somebody say, why? Because they did not seek it by faith, but as it were by the works of the law, for they stumbled at the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. My brethren, you're in chapter 10, my brethren, stay with me. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant, somebody say ignorant, of God's righteousness. You see, that's the bottom line. If you're ignorant of what we're talking about this morning, if you're unskilled and unexperienced in this word of righteousness, your prayer life is in trouble. I don't care who you are, how long you've known God. If you're not acquainted with the word of righteousness by virtue of experience, by overcoming, coming into the presence of God, drawing near to God in prayer, with confidence that your prayers will be answered, that your prayers will be considered and listened to, then your prayer life is in trouble. I could go down the line. If I could talk to every one of you, I would, I would ask, can you explain to me what I've just explained to you? Can you give me what I've just given you? If you can't, your prayer life's in trouble. Is that, is that too far of a, a reach? Now, this is not an accusation. This is just... This, I'm being a lawyer this morning trying to bring the case before the court and asking the question, why haven't you been praying the way that you should pray? Listen, I've been in this thing with the Lord for 53 years. And what I have found is that the more I pursue righteousness, the more I press and the more I seek, the more acquainted I become with the weaknesses of my flesh. Now that's just a part of the deal. I thought that there was a utopia. I thought that there was, man, you would have a place of arriving after a while, but it's not. You continue to become acquainted with your humanity. That's why the Apostle Paul said, O wretched man that I am. Brad mentioned that this morning. O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? The Apostle Paul was looking into the mirror of the law and the law reflected back to him that he was wretched, miserable. He was poor. He was blind. He was naked. He was undone. The law is wonderful. Somebody say wonderful. The law is good. If you go back to Romans chapter 7 where this is recorded, Paul said the law is good. It is holy. The problem was not the law. The problem was what the law did to us when we looked at it. And that's what happened. It, re it reflected back a, 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 an image of wretchedness. Now see, when the Jews 
were looking into this law, if they didn't come to the law by faith, they were going to try to establish their own righteousness. Because the only way that they could be accounted righteous was by faith, because the law was given to us according to the Scriptures to show us the awfulness of sin. The law was a tutor, Paul said in Galatians chapter 3, to bring us to Christ. It was a teacher to bring us to Christ. Because if you're looking at the law, you're in trouble. Now listen, I don't, I hope, don't, be, offend, don't be offended, but, but, but so many Christians, if not most Christians, judge their prayer life and their willingness to pray and ability to pray based upon their law rather than based upon the mirror that they ought to be looking in. You know what mirror that is? The face of Jesus. Look into that mirror because the Bible says if you look into the face of Jesus, you'll see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and you'll be changed into the same image from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. You want to look in the, in the face of Jesus. You see, when the, when the Jew, Jews were looking at the law, what they were needing to see was Jesus coming by faith, just like Abraham believed God. That's what they were called to do, to believe God. John, uh, Jesus challenged the Jews in chapter 8 of John when he talk, spoke to them about Abraham. You remember that? You know what he went on to tell them? Read this. This is a great church growth passage. Jesus said to the, to the religious crowd, He said, You're of your father, the devil, and his deeds you desire to do. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? You know, when we're preaching that on Sunday morning, that's not a good church growth message. Y'all, excuse me, I need to take a little swallow of water. I tell you, we're so small in our numbers, you could almost raise your hand and ask a question, but I wouldn't do that either because you may ask me stuff that I don't know anything about. <laughs> I could go look it up real quick. <laughs> but I wanted you to see the interesting thing, and I hadn't really considered this, I'll be honest with you, I hadn't meditated on it, Charles, that that the Jews could approach the law by faith and attain to righteousness if they came by faith. Yeah. I mean, the Apostle Paul declared that he was blameless in Philippians 3 according to the faith, or according to the, to the law. Blameless. But yet he was very clear in Romans chapter 7 when he said, listen, he said, with my mind, I myself serve the law of God. And for years, I didn't realize that he was boasting in his Jewishness and in his humanity and not in God, not in Christ. The religious crowd can boast concerning the law. But if you come to the law and you don't come by faith, you're in trouble because the foundation of, right, of, of the throne of God is built on righteousness and justice. And you're going to be in trouble with the justice if Jesus is not your justifier. Isn't that interesting, that horse that just won the triple crown? I thought that was a good word. Everybody remember what the horse's name was that won the triple crown? Justify. And did, what, did you hear that caddy preach? Not caddy, but that's, that's, that's golf. Jockey, that's, got my sports mixed up, brother. Got to study a little deeper about this stuff. Now, you know where you know where my heart is, right? Listen to my heart. Don't listen to what I say. Listen to what I, you think I know. I'm trying to say. Jockey. What is a jockey? It's a, that little teeny guy that rides on top of that horse. He's about as big as that wagon tail back there. That's about how much he weighs. But boy, he said when the, when the interviewer was interviewing as he was riding along around the track doing the cool off circle, he said, I want to thank my Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what, we like to have revival right there watching that interview with that jockey. Hallelujah. Justify. God is now through Jesus Christ as he was foretelling it for the Jews through Abraham and now he's telling it through the apostles, because it has been done, 
that the only way to be justified, the only way to receive the gift of righteousness is by faith. By faith. Hallelujah. Somebody said, I don't care if you say amen or not. I brought my own amen. Glory. Isaiah 32, write this down or, or, or make note. Isaiah 32, 17 says, The work of righteousness is peace. The effect of righteousness is quietness and, and assurance forever. Let me tell you about righteousness. Don't try to feel righteousness. Because if you try to feel righteousness, you'll come up short. But here's what I want to tell you what to feel. You can feel the effects or the fruit of righteousness in peace, in confidence, in assurance. The fruit of righteousness is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness. Amen? That's what you'll feel when you come to understand and settle down by faith in this gift of righteousness. And by the way, it's called the gift of righteousness in Romans chapter 5, verse 17. <clears throat> Write that down because that's very important because I want to talk to you about that. I want to give another little shift here in this. That passage is one I love to quote. That we reign in life, this is how we reign in life, through the abundance of grace and the gift of, right, of righteousness. You remember that verse? You reign in life. Now listen here, I'm, I'm going to give you a little Greek word. I wish Dr. Kevin was here. He could really straighten me out. The Greek word is lambanontes. Lambanontes. It does not mean receive. It means continually receiving. Romans 5, 17. I'm going to turn over there and read it because this is what I, wanna, I was trying to get an illustration today and I believe I got one that might help you. It may sound a little crude, but it'll help you. Romans 5, 17. If by the one man's offense death reigns, speaking about Adam, the first Adam, through the one, much more those who receive abundance, those who, receive, those who are receiving abundance of grace and who are... I'm, Amplifying it. And those who are receiving the gift of righteousness or of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through Jesus Christ. This is what we want to do. We want to reign in life. We want to rule in life. Amen? Well, you can't reign and rule in life without a prayer life. That's why this is so critical. You've got to become skilled in the word of righteousness. The word means receiving. And here's what I was thinking about. How many of you know that God's already given us grace in Jesus Christ? Of His fullness, John 1, 16, of His fullness we have received. And grace for grace. And what we need to be praying is, Lord, fill me with the fullness of grace that you've given. That's abundant grace, receiving. Now listen, I was thinking about this, and especially as it came to the gift of righteousness. If I were a big equipment worker and someone gave me as a gift a bulldozer, that would be a wonderful gift, wouldn't it? For, for a guy that needed heavy equipment. And then if, I got, if I drove that bulldozer out to the work site and said, now I want to receive the bulldozer again, that would be stupid, wouldn't it? But what you could say is, I want to receive of the bulldozer and I want to move that big pile of dirt that's in front of me there. I want to move this big piece of equipment that's over there. I want to move this bunch of supplies over here. That would be what you would be calling receiving of the bulldozer. Does it break? I know that's a pitiful illustration, but, it, but it, I want to make a visual. You don't keep receiving the gift of righteousness. You receive all the gift of righteousness. The gift of righteousness provides for us to be able to receive everything and anything that we need from God. That's why we pray. That's why we seek first the kingdom of God. We're in pursuit of this righteousness. 
We seek it. We're pressing for it. Because we want, we want to grow in this word of righteousness. Is that making sense to anybody? I'm telling you guys, if God will grant you the mercies to see this and to hear this, like I've been hearing it myself for these last weeks, it will help your prayer life. Because I'm, I'm just like you. I'm subject to insecurities. I'm subject to feeling like I'm falling short. I'm subject to feeling like I've missed it. I'm subject to feeling like, are my prayers bouncing off the ceiling? Are they really reaching God? Is God really listening? I know none of you have that problem. None of, nobody in here, right? Listen, the Bible says there's no temptation taking me, but such as is common to you. But God is able to provide every means of escape from any temptation that comes. And this is temptation to keep you away from the place of prayer. Prayer is the place for you to get blessed. Prayer is the place for you to bless your family. Prayer is the place for you to get answers of prayers that you'll still be working when you're dead and gone. They'll still be working. God will still be obligating himself to your prayers that have been prayed. That's why I pray for my children every day, my grandchildren every day. I'm really worrying God about my children and grandchildren. Somebody said, well, brother, if you had faith, you would only have to pray one time. Well, you're ignorant of the scriptures. I've got faith and I'm exercising that faith and I'm exercising that faith to receive of the gift of righteousness to receive of the abundance of grace. I've got grace to do that. I've got the ability of God to do that. I've got the standing before God to do that. And God, the, I love what it says in Isaiah chapter 60, 63. Give him no rest until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Give him no rest. I love what Luke chapter 18 says about that little, little widow that kept coming to the judge. Remember that one? Jesus talked about the unjust judge. He didn't, he didn't fear man or God. But that little widow came and said, said I want you to, to help me concerning my adversary. I want you to go to bat for me and, and, and prove yourself strong on my behalf. What did Jesus say about that judge? He said, listen to what the judge said. He said, I don't fear God, I don't fear man, but this woman keeps bothering me and keeps messing with me and she's wearying me. <clears throat> you ever thought about God getting wearied with your prayers? Well, listen, that's what he wants. There's, I don't know if you know this, but in my circles I moved in, there was a doctrine you only had to pray once. Remember that doctrine? It's a false doctrine, but I don't, care, I don't count the people as false who have it. I just count them in error and don't know the difference. Spirit of error. Faith, I've been given the gift of faith, I've been given a measure of faith according to Romans chapter 12, three, so that I can continue to use that faith to access that grace, find, receive His mercy and find His grace on a daily basis from the foundation of righteousness and justice that's already taken care of and given to me. Why shouldn't I be going with confidence and assurance and peace in prayer. And leave saying, well, thank God, that's settled. I, I do believe it. I, I like to settle things for a day. I, I, I hit a lot of bases in my prayer life in the morning. And I've hit, hit, hit a lot of people, you included. And so I want to cover you. And I'm believing God that he's answering prayer concerning the things that I'm asking for you. And I've, I've enumerated some of those things, haven't I, Dot, in days gone by, but I won't do that this morning. All right. This exhortation's going fairly good so far. All right. Let me just give you this. I want you to understand that when you exercise yourself in faith to receive of the gift of the grace of God, you're clothing yourself in righteousness. All right? You're putting on righteousness as a shield. 
You're putting on the robe of righteousness. Let me give you some scripture on that. Let's look at the, the word of armor. 2 Corinthians 6, 7. Turn there. 2 Corinthians 6, 7. By the word of truth, by the power of God, by the armor of righteousness. On the right hand and on the left, the armor. But as a matter of fact, when it comes to putting on righteousness, this armor of righteousness is the only place I saw where it was called an offensive garment for battle. You don't wait for the devil to attack you. You put on the armor of righteousness and attack the devil that's messing with you and messing with your family and messing with what's yours. Amen? And you come against him and you bind him. You come against him and rebuke him. You come against him and tell him that he's a defeated enemy, that you no longer have to serve him, that you serve the Christ. You've been translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son of God's love. You get to tell him a few things. You have been defeated, you've been judged, and your sentence is before you. And you'll be cast into the lake of fire, and that'll be your eternity. You can do that. That's the armor of righteousness. Standing in the armor of righteousness. Now, clothe. Let me give you these verses so you know. Psalms 132.9, clothed in righteousness. And the robe of righteousness, Job chapter 29, verse 14. And Isaiah 61.10. And then there's a breastplate, which is according to the armor, breastplate of righteousness, Isaiah 59, 17, and Ephesians 6, 14. The breastplate of righteousness. But now here's the bottom line. The Bible says, somebody say the Bible says, Jeremiah 23, verse 6, the Lord is our righteousness. Let's just read that. I, I, that was so good this morning. I was looking at that. I want you to read it with me. Jeremiah 23. It's also recorded in Jeremiah 38. Jeremiah 33 or 23, because it says the same thing in chapter 38, by the way. Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will raise to David a branch of righteousness. A king shall reign and prosper and execute judgment and righteousness. Isn't it inter interesting? There's the throne established, the habitation of it. Justice and righteousness in the earth. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell safely. Now this is his name in which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. Now the Bible says in Romans chapter 13, verse 14, it says, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof or the desires of your humanity, as it were, of the flesh. Put on the Lord Jesus. So to put on the Lord Jesus, in essence, is to put on righteousness. And you can only do that by faith, Dr. Trudy, isn't that right? You can only do it by faith. And if you're looking to have a feeling that you've done it, you're in trouble. But I can tell you, let me repeat myself, but if you'll do it in faith and continue to do it in faith, I'm telling you after a while, the feelings of peace and confidence and assurance of over being an overcomer and more than a conqueror, always having the victory and always triumphing in Christ will be yours and you will find yourself progressing in your prayer life like never before. You'll be finding yourself wanting to go to the place of prayer and stand in the gap and make up the hedge for your family and for all that pertains to your life. You don't have to be a victim. You can be a victor. You don't have to be overcome. You can overcome. Remember Jesus said in, in Revelation 21, He said, To him who overcomes... I will be his God. He shall inherit all things. I'll be his God and he shall be my son. And he, amen? Isn't that what he said? I remind the Lord of that ever so often. Lord, I want to be that overcomer that overcomes all things. 
Nothing is impossible for me because I believe in you, the God of the impossible. I'm not judging myself for what I was. I'm not judging myself for what I've done. I'm judging myself for where I am. And I'm judging myself for where I want to be. Amen. Forget what is behind. Reach forth to the things that are before. That means forget all the good things and the bad things. You've had great accomplishments in the past. Forget it. That's over. The present's what matters. And when the future is what matters. Start doing what's necessary for your present and your future. Well, I'm preaching myself happy at least. Everybody's getting so excited. They're running the aisles now. Look out. Don't let somebody run over you. Get in your way there. Amen. And the Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8, he said, for, and I'm about to finish my race. I've kept the faith. And there, there is for me awaiting what? You remember what he said was awaiting him? A crown of righteousness. And he said, not only for me, but for all those that love his appearing. The crown of righteousness. Hallelujah, because you kept in there, you kept exercising yourself, you kept putting on the Lord Jesus, you kept standing in the place, clothed in His righteousness. You weren't naked before the devil. You were clothed in His right. You weren't naked before God. You were clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You were clothed in, clothed in Him. Hallelujah. And let me try to close this. Let me, let, I don't know if I'll be able to get back to this or not, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you. Philippians chapter 1, verse 11 talks about the fruit of righteousness. Remember, only as righteousness is a gift will it bear fruit. If you're trying to establish your own righteousness, you're going to be fruitless. The problem with bearing fruit is always in the root. If the root is not healthy, if the root is not in a place of being tended to by faith, then it will not bear fruit. But if it's been attended to by faith, it will bear fruit. And the fruit will be the fruit of righteousness. You know what the primary fruit of righteousness is? Now you bear this out. I don't have time to get all in this Bible study. But Romans chapter 6, the last verse of Romans chapter 6, and two or three verses before the end of it tells us, that the fruit of righteousness is holiness. Don't try to be holy. Exercise your faith in the fruit of righteousness, which is holiness. If you think you're not going to be holy until you do holiness, you'll never be able to bear the fruit because you're going after it after the law and not after faith. Does that make sense to anybody? You've got to go after this righteousness by faith. That's, uh, that's the only way. And holy, what is holiness? The pastor has told us, by the way, I meant to say to our visitors today, I consider Pastor Kevin the senior pastor, and I'm the senior senior. Not pastor, but I'm the senior senior. <laughs> yeah. So that's, that's, that's why he's letting me preach. He said, let the poor old boy preach. He may not be the senior pastor, but he's a senior senior. Amen. What was I saying? <laughs> what was I there for? <laughs> I'd like the woman asked her brother, said, yeah, I don't Stay with me. The, the woman asked her brother, said, do you have any trouble with the hereafter? They'd already talked about, you know, all the ailments and have any trouble with the hereafter. And he thought to himself, well, no, no, I pretty much got things squared away, you know. She said, oh, you know, you know, when you stand in front of the refrigerator and say, what am I hereafter? <laughs> he had me going with that. So he told him, he told the story. My wife doesn't laugh at that joke anymore. She won't laugh. But I wanted you to I want to leave you with this because holiness, the, the opposite of holiness is not unholiness. The opposite of holiness is commonness. And the best way to, to remember that is when they dedicated the, the furniture 
for the temple in the Old Testament, that furniture was made and then dedicated. <clears throat> One moment before the dedication, it was common. After the dedication, it became uncommon. We don't want to be common. We want to be uncommon. So that, therefore, we want to be holy. God said, be holy for I am holy. I want His holiness. And I found out the only way that I can get His holiness is through the gift of righteousness. Can't be by things that I've done. I can't come with my own, trying to build up my own righteousness. Can't do that. I've got to come and receive His. I've got to put Him on. I've got to walk in His righteousness and not try to earn my own way. Amen? Now here's what I'll leave with you. This is my last closing, Diana. This is it. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 says, This book of the law, somebody say book of the law. A lot of Christians are afraid of the book of the law, but I'm telling you what, you better not get afraid. Every bit of this book is the truth. This book of the law, God said to Joshua, and he's saying it to us, shall not depart from your mouth. He said, you need, you need to keep it in, you need to keep with it. He said, for then you will make your way. Somebody say, make your way. You will make your way prosperous. And then you will have good success. That's the same thing that Psalms chapter 1 verses 2 and 3 said. We talked about the man who was like the tree planted by the waters. Remember he said his delight is in the law of the Lord. And he, in his law he meditates day and night. And he said he will prosper. And I believe while I was not here one Sunday that Pastor Kevin spoke of antinomianism which means anti-law. And, uh, and that's where a lot of the church is. We've, cut, we've gotten to the place we curse the law, but the law, the law is not our problem. The, law is our, the problem is our looking at the law to see a reflection that we ought not be looking at. The law is an enemy to us because it kills us. I didn't get a lot of amens, but it's true. There, how many other people are trying to put you back under the law? And then there's a group of people trying to run from the law. What you going to do when they come for you, bad boy, bad boy? <laughs> Amen? You can't throw the law away. You've got to stay with the law. And you've got to look. To, listen, Romans chapter 8, everybody likes to quote Romans chapter 8. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do in that it was weak, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Isn't that what the Bible says? That's Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. So our problem is not the law. The problem is how we're looking at the law. If you're looking at the law to establish your own righteousness, you're in trouble. But if you look at the law by faith through Jesus Christ to put Jesus on, you're in good shape because I'll guarantee you can fulfill it. You can do what God would have you to do. You can live the way God would have you to live. You don't have to live with condemning and condemnation and unassurance and the lack of confidence before God. If your heart condemns you, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 4, if I recall correctly, he said, if your heart condemns you, God's greater than your heart. And then he says, if your heart does not condemn you, have great confidence with God. Confidence with God. Lord, I'm here again. And he'll say, why are you here again? He'll say, I'm here to say to you the same thing I said yesterday. And I've been saying for the last months and years, because I'm believing I'm going to weary you with this. Now, I don't say this to God like that. I'm just doing this for, for emphasis. <laughs> Mrs. Hughes is looking at me like, you really say that to God? <laughs> no, that's how you have to come. That's the boldness you've got to come with. It's the boldness that you have in the gift of righteousness. It's not the boldness you have in your own righteousness. You come with boldness to receive mercy and find His grace because you come in His, His righteousness, 
which, which the throne has been built upon, the foundation of righteousness and justice. Hallelujah. Anybody here want justice? Now, I better ask that question different. I don't want justice. Because when I deserve justice, He gave me mercy. When bonds held me fast, He, he touched me. No, I'm not over there. <laughs> I was thinking of Joyce back there. She loves Southern Gospel music. I love that song, though. Just a little side note. The young man that wrote that song was offered a two quarter million dollar contract to go sing country music. Guy laid the check down on his desk and said, come and I'll make you a star, country music star. The guy told him, he said, I've already got a job. I don't need that. And you know the interesting thing is that boy was dead two, two years later. Aren't you, don't you know he's glad he didn't take that contract? When I deserved justice, he gave me mercy. When bonds held me fast, he saved my soul. Amen. Hallelujah, everybody. I got so much more I want to say, but I don't have time to say it. Does that sound all right to you? I mean, listen, this to me, in my, in my mind, and I don't know that I've been able to say it like I want to say it, but I have reconciled in my heart the book of the law and righteousness. I have that reconciled in my heart because they were looking by faith toward Jesus who was the fulfillment of the law. And now we look back at Jesus which is the fulfillment of the law so that we can put him on and go to the place of prayer and know that we're going to be heard because we are dressed in his righteousness. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. So the next time you're condemned, you start condemning the devil. The next time you're accused, you start accusing the devil. You know, there's some people won't rebuke the devil because of that passage in Malachi where the angel wouldn't rebuke the devil. Remember that? Well, the angel wouldn't rebuke the devil. Well, let me tell you something about that angel. That angel won't be called a son of God, but you will. It won't be said of that angel that, he, that he's been made for the purpose of being a son of God, but that's said of you. And because you're a son of God, wearing the son, the son of God around as righteousness, you can talk to the devil the way the Bible says Jesus talked to him. Get behind me. Get out of my face. Go away. Amen. Everybody stand up.